Welcome, I'm Pat Bennett, and I'm the host of CLE Food Stories. I'm so excited to be with you this afternoon. Um, thank you to producer Shana Black, who is the heart and soul of podcasts here in the CLE. You can hear our food stories on Spotify, Google, Anchor, Apple. And what we want to do today is to talk to our guest, Morgan Taggart, and have Morgan explain to you some of what she's doing with a very unique and special program here in Cleveland called Food Access Raises Everyone, also known as F-A-R-E. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So glad to have you. Why don't I let you tell us who you are, and then you can explain to us the work that you've been doing with the program, and then we can talk a little bit about what that looks like across the city. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, so um, I've uh, been in Cleveland about uh, 16 years, and uh, since I've been uh, living in Cleveland and working in Cleveland, I've been working on um, improving access to healthy food with a number of different organizations, um, both through uh, urban agriculture projects and supporting community gardens and market gardens in different Cleveland neighborhoods, also working with farmers markets to expand SNAP and EBT um, mm -hmm. at those farmers markets, working with local governments to change local policy in support of improving access to healthy food. Um, and so that, that journey um, through food access in Cleveland has led me to a project that I've been involved in the last a few years um, called FAIR, or Food Access Raises Everybody. Mm -hmm. um, it was a project that started about five years ago um, as um, a program of the Food Trust, which is an organization that was based in, uh, is based in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And um, that organization does a lot of work across the food system in farm to school and nutrition education. They manage farmers markets, um, night markets. So they're really engaged in improving access to healthy food in Philadelphia and wanted to create a partnership with Cleveland-based organizations um, to kind of share information, share best practices, and support some of the work that was happening here in Cleveland. And so the project initial intention was really to kind of build collaboration among different partners in Cleveland and then provide support from um, their team in Philadelphia, um, whether it was connecting farmers markets in Philly with farmers markets in Cleveland or the same for farm to school or corner store work, really kind of building these partnerships to learn from each other, but then creating a collaborative network in greater Cleveland where um, a community garden leader could work with a local school district, or we could connect local farmers um, with farmers markets and help uh, provide nutrition incentives for folks who have a tight food budget to be able to forward fresh local produce at their local farmers markets, um, or developing produce prescription programs with local community health clinics. So really trying to create a more connected network of partners across uh, Cleveland and Cuyahoga County that were working together. Uh, about a year ago, our program um, did some strategic planning and really wanted to think about 
access to healthy food very intentionally through an equity lens mm -hmm. uh, in terms of who is benefiting from these programs, who's engaged in leading these programs, um, what partners and grassroots leaders um, are working at the community level that could really use more support and resources, and how do we also build bridges between more um, institutional partners and uh, larger kind of more well-resourced organizations and community and grassroots leadership working on those same issues. How can we build opportunities for those groups to work together? And so we began to focus some of our work uh, in a couple of different neighborhoods of Cleveland where food access is a pretty key issue for uh, the residents that live there. So and we what are those neighborhoods? Yeah, so we started working more closely um, with folks in the central Kinsman neighborhood of Cleveland, mm -hmm. as well as the uh, near west side Clark Fulton and Stockyards yes. communities. Okay. Um, and then also beginning to support some work in the Buckeye neighborhood as well. And with that work, we're really trying to support um, community-driven solutions mm -hmm. to food access. Mm -hmm. um, folks who are experiencing food insecurity, um, who have strong networks with other community members, what solutions do they see that are tailored to uh, their own experience and the experience of their neighbors um, and other community members in those neighborhoods? And so that in partnership with our um, community advisory board has been where we've been um, putting our own resources um, and energy the last year. And supporting that's, a, that's a really good um, overview and a broad with so much information in there. I want to back up a moment. I want to ask you, what was the biggest change from Philadelphia to Cleveland? What were the differences and how has it been in transitioning from Pennsylvania to mm -hmm. Ohio? If you yeah. can just sort of explain what that looked like and how different or similar those two cities are. Yeah, that's a great question, um, because I think what we learned as the two cities worked together is um, there were, I think, a different set of um, players that are working on food access in both cities. So in Philadelphia, the Food Trust um, has over 100 employees who work in a lot of different areas that I mentioned, nutrition education, they manage farmers markets, they do uh, youth wellness uh, policy councils, they do um, night markets. And in Cleveland, we have a whole group of different organizations, each taking a piece of that work. So okay. we have farmers markets that are managed individually, or mm -hmm. we have one group that's working on farm to school. And so I think one of the unique opportunities is to create collaboration in Cleveland because everybody's working on a different piece of that food system. So, so, so they're all they're all more independent yes. as opposed to a collaborative, which means that they're working at cross purposes maybe. Yeah. Not intentionally, but duplicating some of what they're doing doesn't really help and it's a bit fractured. So as you start to work within these two communities, what have been your biggest successes and what are the things that you continue to be challenged by? Mm. That's a great question. Um, and it's nice to have the opportunity to kind of reflect back on those five mm -hmm. years and really think about that because now the project has been based 
Cleveland only since April 1st of this year. So we've successfully um, kind of transitioned from working with the food trust to a standalone um, project here in Cleveland. And uh, so it's given us kind of a, a chance to look back over those five years and really look at what we've accomplished. Mm -hmm. I think um, one of the things that we are um, proud of is our ability to um, support some of these local grassroots organizations. Uh, we had a mini grant process where we provided small grants directly um, to community groups that did not have to have a nonprofit status mm -hmm. in order to receive funds to support their projects. Mm -hmm. um, and we did that for, oh gosh, I think close to 20 different groups here in Cleveland, each working on food access at the neighborhood level. I think the um, partnerships that we've created reach out and bring new customers um, to the market. And so we've worked in partnership uh, with Ohio State University Extension here, which convenes about 25 different markets in Cleveland uh, to work on that together. Um, and I think those community partnerships as well as institutional partnerships are um, have been a real opportunity for people to collaborate and um, address their strengths. So another project that we've been working on during um, COVID and the pandemic has been in the Central Kinsman community. And uh, we've been working with residents there um, almost a year now. And they have really stepped up to figure out how to coordinate the resources that are in their community, providing uh, meal delivery and food delivery mm -hmm. to vulnerable folks who can't make it out to do grocery shopping, delivering medication and hygiene, and working with both nonprofit organizations as well as community members to create this very coordinated network to address food access during the pandemic. Um, and that's led by a few different groups there, Feed the Soul, uh, Free Thinkers, Project Save, um, that are really trying to identify who they know in their community that needs support, who maybe the larger institutions are missing and making those connections so people have the resources that they need. So speaking of COVID, because that's on everyone's mind these sure. days and it's gone on longer than any of us would have expected and quite frankly, will probably keep going on until we yeah. figure out exactly what the landscape is. Talk to me about the perception of what COVID means in terms of impacting food access, sure. either not having transportation, mm -hmm. you find that wherever you were getting your food, there may not be enough of it, or there are bare shelves. And yeah. I even notice when I do my own grocery shopping, mm -hmm. some of the products are just not there anymore. And even in a drugstore where I'm seeing empty shelves of yeah. things that were normally well stocked and plentiful, they're just not there anymore. But for communities, especially, you know, Central Kinsman and Clark Fulton, you don't have large grocery stores. It's a corner store. I'm from New York. So that's like a bodega. Yeah. And so it's a anything and everything. Yep. It's kind of a store. And it's the local person who just provides everything. And it's also a gathering place for information. It's a gathering place to do all kinds of socialization. Mm -hmm. How are you hearing and seeing how COVID has impacted the work that you're doing? Yeah, so when um, the pandemic first um, kind of hit in mid-March, we as the FAIR Project decided to reach out 
to different stakeholders within the food system of Cleveland and really hear from them directly about what they were experiencing. Mm -hmm. So we also do a lot of work with the bodegas and corner stores that you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, helping those owners um, get fresh products in their stores. We also bring health and nutrition-based programming to those stores as well, um, as well as coupons to purchase healthy items in store to really drive demand for healthier products in that, in that kind of smaller grocery store or corner store space. So we talked to those folks. We talked to uh, pantries and meal programs. And I think you're absolutely right, Pat. There was a major shift with COVID in multiple ways. We had, um, and kind of more broadly, some of the um, information that's coming out of CASE, which has been surveying corner stores, is about a quarter to a third of them have closed, um, either temporary, temporarily or potentially even permanently. And talking with corner store owners, they had a very difficult time getting products into their stores. They saw prices really skyrocket and didn't know how to... Um, yeah, pay for, I think, basic essentials and groceries, particularly meat, uh, dairy, and fresh produce were very hard to come by or very expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those stores really struggled to provide foods to their communities at an affordable price. Um, and with folks in um, lockdown, you're right, transportation made, depending on the corner stores in your community and the small grocers, even more critical. Mm -hmm. We also, in talking to pantry and uh, meal uh, program providers in that kind of safety net of the charitable and, and emergency food system, many of them had to close because they rely on older volunteers. So in some cases, a third um, of those pantries and meal programs had to temporar temporarily stop operations uh, because they just did not have the volunteers in order to operate safely and did not want to put their volunteers or their clients at risk. And so you saw a um, larger distributions taking place with a kind of drive-through mm -hmm. um, program, which made it difficult for folks who don't have a car mm -hmm. to make it to those centralized food distributions um, and participate in those if they didn't have access to a personal vehicle. And we know that in a lot of communities of Cleveland, um, 25 to 40% of families don't have access to a car. Mm -hmm. And so it just made, there was, I think it created a lot of gaps and further inequities that led to some of the rising rates of food insecurity that we're seeing not only in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, but across the country, and growing racial disparities in terms of food insecurity um, and how that affects families, particularly families with children. And what you describe is not just here. It exactly. is in communities across America. I mean, this is our community in Northeast Ohio, and it's a city, but in New York City, there are very similar issues. My children live there, and they talk about what they've seen and again, the, um, the lack of certain items that they can't get and they live in places that don't have large grocery stores. I think we stopped. We did. Okay. I, yeah. No, that's it's okay. cool. No, yeah. that's okay. Um, for you were instance, across the country, that's yeah, right. Okay. It's, it's, it's not just here. What, what you've been describing for the past few minutes could be really any major city, whether it's Detroit, whether it's parts of Chicago, whether it's New York whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's parts of Florida, out in California, I think that these are standard issues that are happening and weather permitting, I'm seeing that people are growing more. Yes. The, the little pockets of land where all of a sudden you drive by and you see tomato plants, you see collard greens, you see pole beans. My mother was from the South, so mm -hmm. these are the things that we grew 
in our garden that really we can and we preserve for over the winter. The issue here, you may not be able to do that because you don't have space to can and do all those things, but you can grow a certain amount if you know how to do that and you have space to do it. Can you talk a little bit about the urban farms, if you will, that you're working with or that you're seeing and if they are popular and are they attractive to people as an option as to growing their own food that they can eat? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We, we heard that when we were talking with um, community garden leaders and mm -hmm. uh, folks who are leading urban agriculture projects in April when we were reaching out to our network and really trying to understand what people were seeing. And mm -hmm. there was tremendous um, growth and interest in people gardening at home mm -hmm. and also community gardening spaces, but mm -hmm. also figuring out how to purchase local. Uh, because there were so many interruptions in the supply chain for food. Right. Like, how do I find stuff in my own community? And how do I also support those local businesses at the same time? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, there's just been, I think, really tremendous growth and interest. And I think that comes, that's happening for a variety of reasons. I think if we look back in history, um, during economic recessions, we often find an explosion of interest in um, self-reliance and growing mm -hmm. for yourself and growing food for yourself. The DIY um, movement. Exactly. Yeah. Even back to 2008 um, yes. with the recession, I was working in urban agriculture in Cleveland and it was mm -hmm. just everybody wanted to kind of get involved in gardening, whether it was their backyard. We saw new community gardening projects pop up all over the place. Um, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing now. I think the pandemic, people are spending more time at home, mm -hmm. looking for opportunities to do stuff at home, engage mm -hmm. with their families at home, mm -hmm. um, build uh, yeah, opportunities to connect by working together. Um, so I think that resilience in urban agriculture um, there's just been tremendous interest and local groups are trying to accommodate as many people as they can. We've seen new gardens um, pop up this year as people are getting organized in their communities to create those spaces for food production. And also um, even SNAP at local farmers markets here in Cuyahoga County. I think at this point um, in August of 2020, we've already um, superseded the complete total sales of SNAP at farmers markets in greater Cleveland last year. So we've just wow. seen tremendous interest in people shopping locally um, and purchasing local products as well from local farmers. I go to the Shaker market on Saturday. So I sort of stalk people and follow them around quietly because I want to observe what they're buying yeah. and what they're not buying, yeah. what their comfort level is, because maybe you're not familiar with a certain type of a squash or yeah. all the heirloom tomatoes or there's a vendor there that has different garlic. Who knew that there were so many different kinds of garlic and yeah. how you see it growing? It doesn't look like what you typically would think of in a grocery store. And I see people doing more education, that the vendors are talking more to customers and explaining, have you tried this? And the ability to sample product has been a little bit more difficult because of COVID. However, people are wanting to taste and try. Mm -hmm. the, taste, the taste and try, almost the Costco model, yeah. is what people are, they're curious. You know, yeah. you see them thinking, okay, the corn is coming, the cherries, um, Edwin's had some unusual 
things there, or you see the rainbow farms or uh, Rittman orchards with beautiful peaches or the blueberries and wolf farms. And you just see people sort of wandering around, not only for the food, but for the socialization. I think that people couldn't wait to get outside of the house, including myself. And to see that these people were growing food while the rest of us were inside was quite a revelation. And then they brought it to market so that you could participate. Now, again, that's a transportation. You have to drive to get there. Um, The transportation here is very different in New York, where you don't necessarily have to have a car in New York City. You can bus it, you can subway. RTA goes a fair number of places, but sometimes it's a number of connections. And you can only carry what you can carry, especially if you not only have to take yourself, but you may have to take other family members with you. You're just sort of navigating how to do all of that. And maybe you're in a walk up where, oh my gosh, I bought all this stuff. I have to get it up five flights of steps with a stroller, with, you know, whatever else. So the logistical piece of it makes sense that maybe even if I don't have a yard, I can put things in pots. I can make containers. I live in an apartment, so my garden were container pots. And, you know, they were, that was fine, just if it's two of us. What have you seen that people growing their own or wanting to visit the farmer's markets, mm-hmm. is that a way that people feel like, oh, that's something new and interesting, and I'm going to buy that, but I don't really know what to cook with it. Or is my family going to eat that? Yeah. Because it's not fast to eat. Yeah. It's not, it's not quick. It's not fast food and carrots and celery aren't what my family really wants to eat when they're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a, it's a great point. And, um, I think one of the other challenges, if you have a tight food budget, you also don't want to risk buying something that you and your family don't like. Um, Waste is the buzzword these, these, these days. We can't, we can't waste because we yep. don't know what tomorrow may bring. Absolutely. So, so you wanna, mm-hmm. you're um, careful about buying things you know your family wants to eat. Um, and that's also, like you said, easy to prepare. Um, and so I think what I've seen um, happening in Cleveland is a lot of opportunities for, like you were describing, cooking demos and mm-hmm. tastings at farmer's markets, mm-hmm. um, nutrition education at the market to really expose people um, mm-hmm. and have them try different types of products and try and keep those recipes as simple as possible um, and not using a lot of... Um, yeah, costly or hard to find ingredients. Right. Um, and so I think that that's been a really, I think, strength of the Farmers Market Network in Cleveland, that mm-hmm. a lot of those folks are um, both engaging nutrition educators, maybe chefs in the community to come out and do those demos and share recipes and getting folks to try something new. Um, we do a similar program in corner stores at the same time, like talking about when you're looking at beverages in the case, look for ones that are 100% juice and the difference between one uh, uh, beverage that is 5%, we often walk with them to the cooler and look at the labels and they're like, this is only 5% and this one's 100% juice and talking through those choices um, and having people try something 
new that they may not have seen before on the shelf because you're competing also with a lot of different marketing and messaging. And sometimes right. the healthy items get lost in there a little bit because they aren't as flashy. Um, and so I think you're right in all of those um, places, whether it's a grocery store, a corner store, a farmer's market, or even a farm stand at a local um, urban farm, mm -hmm. the opportunity to try and taste really that experience can kind of um, expose you to a lot of new foods out there. Cause you're right. When you look at 12 different kinds of garlic, I know I just thought garlic's garlic. Um, it's not. No. Oh, did I get a lesson absolutely. a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah. I, got my, I got my head almost handed to me with one of the vendors and she says, Oh no, no, no. Let me explain to you all yeah. of this. And yes. so I had, I had to be schooled. And yeah. so I was, wow. And I'm a cook, so yeah. I, I, I do cook a lot, and I do like fresh food, and yeah. I'm fortunate that I can get fresh food, but that's not always the case. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about children sure. and, and, and families with young people, because we're introduced to food at young ages. Mm -hmm. If you always eat the same thing that you're given, because that's what your mother ate, that's what your grandmother ate, that's what your neighbor ate, how open do you see that younger people are wanting to change the way that they eat or having access to try different foods? Mm -hmm. You know, coming from New York, you can get anything 24 hours a day. That's not the case here where you have to travel and you have to think about where I might go. But if it's not in my neighborhood and I don't have a car, yeah, probably I'm not going to go. I'm not going to yeah. go from the east side to the west side and vice versa. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about what children can do with respect to exposure to new things, whether it's gardens in schools. That was a big thing when I grew up in New York. There was gardens actually in these schools. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Queens. And so there were places, plots of land next to the school. And people came and helped us grow things. But also everyone in my community had a garden of sure. some type. And we shared stuff. So if the next door neighbor didn't grow collard greens, but my mother did, that would be over the back fence. And they grew pole beans and vice versa. The children piece of it is really near and dear to me because mm -hmm. I think that that starts at a very young age. And so I always like when I see children at the farmer's market at least tasting something that maybe they didn't know that watermelon is also yellow it's yes. not just red or that carrots can be not just orange they can be purple yes and so can you share with us a little bit about the youth piece mm -hmm. perhaps of some of the programs that you do in and around the city yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's a, an opportunity for partnership between families um, and community organizations and early care and education providers and schools in that I think there, you're right, there is a, a window um, in those early kind of zero to five years to expose um, young children to the diversity of, of fruits and vegetables and fresh foods that we have when you're kind of forming your palate and uh, figuring out what tastes good or what feels good um, when you eat it. And so um, there's a number of different initiatives in the Cleveland area that are working on some of these um, I think opportunities to um, educate and really support healthier diets from a young age. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that is um, school gardens in partnership with, or youth gardens in partnership with organizations and allowing that experience um, 
for children to experience food as it grows. I used to be a uh, farm and garden teacher in the city of San Francisco. Mm. And so it was my responsibility. We had a farm um, in the city. I had sheep and I had chickens that I was working with the young people on at the school. A real farm. A real real farm farm. in a postage stamp, you know, um, very small space, um, but also a garden. And so I was out there every day at recess and during Mm -hmm. lunch for kids to come out and experience and plant things with me and watch them grow. Um, And being involved in that experience from the time you put a seed in the ground Mm -hmm. until that radish or uh, cherry tomato is ready to eat is a magical experience for young people Mm -hmm. um, and very different than just receiving food um, on a plate at a meal um, Mm -hmm. to be involved in that whole process. And there's a lot of groups in Cleveland that are working on that. Um, One, there's a a group, a coalition called Early Ages Healthy Stages that's convened by the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. And they bring together... um, early care and education providers from across the county who are very engaged in health and wellness um, with the families and uh, young people that they serve. And so they are looking at ways of really bringing new menu items into the food that they serve young people and using that as a chance to um, expose, as just we were talking about in the farmer's market space, Mm -hmm. trying all different, I think there's a lot of different, uh, oh, I froze. Yes, it's okay. 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 We just keep going. Keep rolling. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I think there's a number of different um, early care and education providers, Uh, Cleveland Child Care on the West side. um, One of the partners that we worked with, um, Rhonda Sharpley, and she's got a a group called Freshly Rooted, but she was really working closely with them to redesign their menu um, and incorporate all sorts of fruits and vegetables and start a garden on site um, at the school and Mm -hmm. really take the kids out there so they could see it and then figuring out ways to incorporate that food into the lunch that was being served. Um, so there's a number of projects like that. I think as, as young people get older, um, we've had uh, several different groups look at gardening as an opportunity to learn, but also an opportunity for entrepreneurship mm-hmm. um, as a way to uh, grow produce and create value-added products um, and bring those products to market. Um, through the YOU program. I know they've placed youth in a number of different gardens and urban agriculture projects across the city every summer, really giving youth that opportunity to uh, grow food, be engaged outside, um, and find ways to um, bring that product and what they're growing to their communities, both through markets and farm stands, um, as well as developing yeah, kind of small businesses that take those products to market. So I think there's a lot of really great opportunities for youth in Cleveland from zero all the way to 18 and into adulthood. No, I think that you raise a good point. The other uh, point that's near and dear to me is the healthcare in the mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. And we know that you are what you eat and you also are what you don't eat. Mm-hmm. And because the healthcare in this city is such dis- disparate, if you will, So if people aren't getting access to fresh food, that really spells danger in many cases because they just don't, they don't eat it. And so therefore you're living on processed food, foods that are high in all the bad stuff due to no fault of their own, but it represents, especially for adults, a shorter life. I worked in hospice for a number of years and mm-hmm. you just see families with a pattern. And mm-hmm. so it's something that is important for all of us to recognize in, in this city and other cities, how do we help ourselves 
to just not only feel better, especially now during COVID where people are starting to just feel the stresses of of what is going on here. And sometimes they can't put their finger on it, but they're snapping at each other. They're, they're eating things just because they're there. They don't even know what it is. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. Well, I'm just going to have a taste of ice cream. And then the whole carton is gone because you don't feel like cooking. You just, the thought of, I don't even know what's in there. I don't care what's in there. I don't want it. I'm just going to stand in front of the refrigerator and eat, you know, eat, eat what's there. Yes. So the healthcare piece of it, can you comment on what you're seeing and some of what the community groups are doing in response to the, the food insecurities and what we see in communities and how to keep people not only together, but keep them healthy so that yeah. they can live long, productive, sustainable lives. Yeah. No, it's a it's a great point, Pat, because I often think about um, the disparities of we are a city of world-class healthcare. We are. Um, we are. People come from all over the world to Cleveland for healthcare, and we look blocks away, and we have people suffering from incredible health disparities, often... Um, Yeah, and it really falls along kind of racial and ethnic lines in terms of who's impacted the most by these issues. And these are happening in tandem in the same neighborhood. Yes. Uh, And so um, it's an issue I think about a lot because I think um, we have the resources to really solve and address a lot of these problems if we um, use them and work in partnership with the people who really understand what these issues are at the community level. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been an awakening within healthcare in the last several years around social determinants of health and understanding that employment um, and job opportunities, education systems, housing, um, safety, all of those impact your health. It's not just about an individual's choice on what they're having for dinner. There is a whole stream of decisions and factors in how um, in your community and in the life and the choices that you have that really dictate that at the end of the day. And so I think we're seeing um, hospitals and healthcare systems beginning to figure out what their role is in helping people create environments where healthier choices are available. And, and so are you, are you working with the hospital systems, with the Cleveland Clinic, with Metro Health, with University, mm-hmm. in particular as the, the three big groups in this city? Are yeah. you doing any special programs or projects that include them into making sure that the work they're doing is disseminated and inclusive? Uh, Metro Health is an advisor to the FAIR project. um, And we've also had the opportunity to work with NEON, which is a federally qualified health center on the Mm -hmm. east side of Cleveland, as well as the Cleveland Clinic. And um, one of the models that we've been using in partnership with community health clinics is called Produce Prescription. Hmm. I love that. I love the term of that. Yeah, so we work with uh, local healthcare partners um, who are seeing clients with potentially diabetes or hypertension um, or obesity and want to figure out how do they connect those folks to resources. So it's one thing to say you should really eat healthier. 
and you don't have either the financial means to do so or access in your own community. And so what the Produce Prescription Program really aims to do is to work in partnership with the healthcare partner and uh, figure out a... Um, a way to connect those clients with access to healthy foods. So with here in Cleveland, the Produce Prescription Program is a $30 a month voucher that patients receive and they meet with their healthcare provider monthly to kind of set goals, talk about the experience at the farmer's market, mm -hmm. talked about things that they've tried, um, set some goals around um, eating and including more fruits and vegetables in your diet. So we're mm -hmm. trying to match the um, advice for how to improve health with the resources to actually do it and make change and support the local economy and local farmers at the same time. Mm -hmm. So really trying to kind of integrate all three of those together. Um, I know Metro Health has also brought a uh, pantry onto their main campus. Yes, yes, yes I've seen and, it. I've yeah, seen and it's using mm -hmm. kind, of a, a, kind of an interesting um, model where they have a dietitian that then works individually with clients yes. and helps them select foods from that pantry. Mm -hmm. um, they will also make um, connections to other kind of emergency food providers in their communities, mm -hmm. pantries, and meal programs to really connect those that are food insecure mm -hmm. um, with resources um, in their own communities and try and tailor those resources. Um, so I think there is an opportunity for um, healthcare to continue to increase that. Um, and I know that there's um, a lot of folks, and I've been most involved with the work at Metro, mm -hmm. really trying to figure out also the housing and the education and the jobs piece, those other factors that are really contributors to an individual's health and their health outcomes. Yeah. None of this is easy, and it's complicated, and it's yeah. like an, oct an octopus with lots of arms and legs. Yeah. Um, the piece of it that, you know, if you don't eat, you don't feel well, you don't want to go to work, you don't want to look for work, you're tired all the time, you're not operating at your optimum best. Mm -hmm. And that goes on even from a young age. Mm -hmm. I know when I'm hungry, I just get cranky, you know? And so I can imagine people who don't have enough to eat or can't get food, they feel more than cranky. Sometimes it's just out of control. Oh, yeah. And so how do we do better in this city getting what you just described out to more people? We yeah. know that the programs you said at the top of the program, yep, the stuff is out there. Yeah. But sometimes pride gets in the way. Mm -hmm. People are very humble about not wanting other people to be aware that they have that struggle mm -hmm. and that I don't want people to know I don't have the money to get food. So yeah. I'm just not going to eat or I'm going to eat one meal a day as opposed to, and I see that with elderly. Mm. You see them putting things back. Yeah. It's like, I know I can't do this but I have a pet and that's a whole other conversation in trying to care for a pet that is important, but still eats and needs medical care. So you're struggling with, I need meds, my dog need meds, we need food. I don't know what I'm going to do to manage all of that. So as we now move out of summer into winter, we're gonna move into another arena. The gardens aren't going to be there because this is Northeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. I do see as I move out into other parts of uh, Ohio, the hoop farms mm. and you can have greenhouses. Yeah. And I don't see as many of those in the city as I thought, well, that's an option because you yeah. can grow year round. Is there any plans to include things like that, especially this year with COVID presenting such unique challenges? You've got challenges irrespective, but mm -hmm. 
But this year, where schools are changing, the kids aren't necessarily going to school or they're going on an abbreviated schedule. The work at home folks are not working at home. Elderly people who can't get out and people who are struggling to not only just take care of themselves, maybe they're taking care of a spouse or a relative or a neighbor. And so as the weather changes here, I'm concerned that, okay, where are people going to go to get food and to get information about how they can help themselves, if you will, or what agencies or organizations are there to support keeping them alive through the winter. It, it's that basic. Yeah. No, I, I think that's where a lot of people's minds are right now, Pat. And I think um, at the beginning of our conversation, you made reference to we'd all hoped that the pandemic would only last a couple of months and we would have our regular summer. And um, we have several, several months ahead of us. Um, we do. We the do. other side. And I think the immediate response in April and May was to get food to people as much mm -hmm. and quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think we missed an opportunity to really think more strategically about the investments that we're making and the partnerships and the collaborations and the networks mm -hmm. within neighborhoods that really need to be built in order to use the resources that we have in the most equitable way possible. Mm -hmm. um, and really figuring out, okay, we have 20 different um, meal programs and pantries. How can we coordinate our schedules so we're sure that everybody every week has a place to go in our community? Um, how do we all come together, everyone who's doing meal delivery, to make sure that we are hitting as many folks as possible? So I think um, the opportunity for partnership and collaboration when that initial kind of relief response um, happened in April and May, I think we missed an opportunity to build these systems that um, often, as we talked about earlier, are fractured and disconnected. And everyone's kind of from their organization's perspective, doing the thing that they do, serving the right. people that they do. Right. Um, and so I think we missed the chance to do that. And as we come into winter, I do think um, there's an opportunity to rethink that strategy, knowing that mm -hmm. we're going to be here uh, potentially for six, nine, 12 more months to really think about these more community-based food systems where mm -hmm. we connect uh, the corner stores, with the grocery store, with um, the urban grower, with the farm market, um, with the, um, the local community garden that has that high tunnel or kind of uh, seasonal ability to really extend uh, growth into fall and winter. Um, but I think those conversations and realization are happening now mm -hmm. at the uh, funding level, at the mm -hmm. institution level. Um, but I think if you look at neighborhoods, community members, on their own are working together to really figure this out um, from the beginning. Um, when it comes to season extension in Cleveland, we've had a unique partnership with the USDA um, through the leadership of Congresswoman Marsha Fudge to yes. really support high tunnels and season extension for urban growers in Cleveland. And she was responsible for really opening that up to urban growers mm -hmm. instead of more um, rural farmers. And so we have a number of those structures in Cleveland. Um, and I've seen a lot of them with fresh plastic on mm -hmm. um, growing to extend that season a little bit. Um, so yeah, how do we utilize all the resources that we do have here? Because when you look, there are a lot more resources available than we're actually making those meaningful connections with, which is something you also talked about. And I think one of the things that we miss is bringing this information to where people are. 
we often as um, nonprofit organizations or agencies expect people to come and find us. Um, so in our work in corner stores, uh, we had the opportunity uh, through our programs, we would see anywhere from 50 to 80 folks in about a two hour period doing nutrition education, talking about health and trying products in the stores. And we often would hear, well, where can I get job training? Is there a GED program in the community? Um, I need help with uh, daycare or I'm looking for, um, I haven't had a health screening in a couple of years and I'm afraid I might have something going on. Who can I talk to? They brought it all there. Exactly. Yes. People are there and they figure, you know what? These people will know how to help me. Totally. About Absolutely. about whatever. They yep. may be here talking about one thing, yep. but I'm going to use this opportunity to get some information. Absolutely. Could, I could talk to you for the rest of today, and I would like to respectfully ask you to come back on again and sure. talk a little bit more in depth because yeah. we don't have enough time to go through all the pieces. Yeah. I also took notes that I would like to follow with you, maybe have a phone conversation to talk about some of the other programs and specific, the partnership, because there are probably some other people that I would love to, okay, absolutely get yes. on here. Let's yes. talk to them. Shanna yes. and I would be delighted. Awesome. Push this information out there. We both have fairly good substantial networks, but this is a very critically important topic in this community. And it's something that she and I are both very, very dedicated and committed to doing. That's how this whole podcast came about. So yeah. if you're open to it, I will call you and we'll talk a little more and get some of these other people Absolutely. who are really doing this very critically important work because the winter is going to look different. Mm -hmm. We need to respond different and we want to get to the other side of it so that spring and summer next year looks and feels a lot better and a lot more comfortable. Yep. So Shana is tapping me. She said we have a few more moments. If you could just leave our listeners with a parting thought about our conversation, I'll just let you open it up and tell us what's on your mind. I think what do you the, want people to know? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked a lot uh, in this country about how this pandemic has shown us who we really are. Mm -hmm. And I think we talk about that in a lot of different ways and a lot of different layers in society, whether it's racial and social justice, whether it's um, employment and who's frontline and essential workers. Um, I think it's also shown us a lot about our food system mm -hmm. and who is working in that food system, um, who's working in um, farms to get food to the table, who's working in our grocery stores, in our mm -hmm. corner stores, mm -hmm. um, who's vulnerable and really supporting the system, um, like legions of senior volunteers who are the backbone of these pantries, uh, as well as meal programs. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also shown us that there's an opportunity to create these local connections. And I think what's exciting to me to see in this moment of crisis, the community members that have stepped up mm -hmm. in their own community to provide for their own community. And that uh, the opportunity to tell some of those stories and highlight some of those folks who often don't have the spotlight on them, but are really are what's um, helping some people eat on a daily basis and get the basic needs that they have. Um, they're kind of our own, um, yeah, unsung champions who are working feverishly at the community level, who are really keeping 
families together and families alive in this crisis moment. And so I think the COVID is really shining a light on who we are, the inequities, but also the opportunities to forge a different path, particularly around food uh, into the future. And so I think like all of these other things that are um, that we're talking about in this moment, I think food is that opportunity that builds community. Um, and we, I think, need to build more resilient systems that include everybody in the solutions. Um, and people who've experienced food insecurity the most need to be at that table. Mm -hmm. Their voices need to have an equal voice with others who are making the decisions and others who have access to tremendous resources. Um, so I, I'd like to kind of, yeah, hope that we are in the midst of an opportunity for major transformative change um, and who has access to healthy food in our community and who is actively a part of the conversation around making decisions and what this looks like moving forward. Well, I'd like to give the, those people the platform because we need to hear from them. These are our friends. These are our neighbors. This is our family. Yeah. And the neighbor helping neighbor is yeah. a very simple concept. And we know that we can do this. So thank you very, very much. This was a fabulous conversation that will continue. And I am thrilled to have had the opportunity to talk to you today. Uh, there's so much more that's going on in our community that you are passionate clearly about. And I am too. I'm relatively new to Cleveland about seven years, but it didn't take long to get really uh, attracted to what goes on here. And food is food. And I always say that food is love. Yes. And if you don't feel loved, you don't have food. It, it's a whole different dynamic that isn't always pleasant. And so while we can help to feed people, we feed them both through food and through nurturing and through all the other things that right now I can't reach out and touch, but I can find other ways to communicate and let you know, we see you, we hear you, we want to help you. So I think that is the challenge that I feel is so critically important. And that's part of what this whole podcast is about, is helping people understand truly what's going on in our community. And I mean that in the broadest possible sense. So thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure having you. And we're gonna continue this conversation at another podcast and include some of the other people that you spoke to today. Thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Thank you both. What an opportunity to sit and reflect. I think with the, um, the moment that we're in the past several months, you're just going every day and to have the chance to really kind of step back and think about what's happening, um, who's working on what, what are the dynamics and what are the relationships and how do we um, yeah, shift some of the things that we're doing to be, to really connect with people. I think, um, yeah, I appreciate just a great conversation. Thank you guys yes. so much. Yeah. It was our pleasure. Our pleasure. Yeah.